Hey, my beans, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. If you're new to the podcast, bonjour. I've got a whole bunch of new listeners. So welcome to the community. Welcome to my podcast. So let's pretty much get straight into it. No point fluffing around. Today, I'm going to be talking about the neuroscience of visualization and how that actually works from kind of a psychology neuroscience perspective. Because a lot of people talk about visualization when it comes to something spiritual or when it comes to manifestation or when it comes to all different aspects. But I want to talk about visualization when it comes to doing certain things and behaving a certain way and feeling certain things in order to help you achieve your goals. And there is a lot to back up the benefits of visualization, even if You're not someone that's like, no, I just want straight up black and white science. I don't want you to tell me that if I sit there and fully think I'm going to manifest something, I'm not going down that path, okay, because that can get quite grey. I'm going to talk about black and white shit that you're going to benefit from when you practice visualization because there's a lot behind it and it is so good for you and it's very beneficial. I practice it all the time. And the thing is that you guys probably practice it too, but sometimes for the good and also sometimes for the bad. Sometimes we use use visualization without realizing it in a way that impacts our ability to see our goals through um, and impacts our life negatively. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we do get into that, I do want to have a bit of a brain fact, well, it's not really brain, but fact, um, about the physiology of acne and one of the main treatments for really severe acne when a lot of other treatments have failed. So that's what I will be talking about for the brain fact, and then we'll get straight into the episode. If you're not into these sciencey facts at the start, just fast forward about roughly five or so minutes, and then you can get straight into the topic of today's podcast. All right, so physiology of acne. What, firstly, what is acne? So it's an inflammatory disease, and it affects your oil glands in your skin and also your hair follicles. And these glands are called your sebaceous glands and they produce sebum. Um, and they're normally, and, these, and they're attached to the hair follicle. And the role of sebum is to protect your skin surface and it also helps for lubrication within the skin and the hair. Now, when sebum and skin cells are trapped in that hair follicle and don't get released, acne is the result, okay? So it's something that's trapped within the follicle and that is why you get that, that, um, the manifestation of acne. And as it cannot get released, because it is stuck there for whatever reason, I'll go into a few reasons why, because it can't get, re- get released, it starts to form like a bulb under the surface and these accumulate and then they grow, okay? And this was, it's called a microcomodo, okay? And an open microcomodo is known as a blackhead and a closed one is known as a whitehead, okay? Now, why does it happen? In a lot of cases, in most cases, it is due to the production of, of like the, the overproduction of sebum, okay? It's an overactivity of the sebaceous glands and this is often due to genetics, okay? That's one of the big causes is genetics because it's our genes that influence the size of the glands, okay? And when they are too large or when they are larger than someone else's, they're going to be producing more sebum and make it more likely for acne to occur because when there's too much sebum, that's when the dead skin cells can get trapped and that's when you get the, the acne manifest, okay? Now, hormones are also a culprit that can cause these glands to enlarge because hormones can then influence how the glands 
you know, react if they get smaller, if they grow, and therefore make more sebum. That's why it's common that when you're going through a big hormonal change in your life, you can get acne. So this very often happens in your teens and also during pregnancy. Some people can get, you know, um, acne only ever when they're pregnant and then at no other point because you're going through large hormonal changes. Another reason is hyperkeratization of the follicle. So that's when the cells of the follicle clump together instead of shedding, like when the skin cells clump together instead of shedding at a normal rate. And then because these dead cells are stuck together, they can't get released out of the pore properly and it blocks the pore and then you get that result of acne. Okay, so... Oh, and then another one is the presence of acne-causing bacteria. It's a specific kind of bacteria that causes acne. Not all bacteria does. Not all bacterias are equal. Uh, And this particular bacteria loves to reside in the inside of the oily pores. And when the pore is blocked, there's no air supply. And that's where the bacteria, you know, thrives. It really proliferates there when when there's no air supply and this causes inflammation in the cell and then of course surrounding cells as well so how do how how is it treated okay there's different drugs to treat the acne in different ways i'm going to be talking about one of them only so number one is retinoids number two is antimicrobial treatments and number three would be hormonal therapy okay i want to be talking about the retinoids okay so retinoids are derived from vitamin A. And you might have heard a lot on the market about different retinoic acid or or tretinoin or just retinoids in general. And there's over-the-counter, there's stuff that you can buy, but basically at the, like that that you can buy just um, with a prescription. But basically it's, it's derived from vitamin A or something with a very similar structure to vitamin A. And they target the cells in the epidermis called the supra basal keratinocytes keratinocytes can I get through one fucking episode where I don't stumble across the pronunciation of something obviously not Suprabasal keratinocytes, okay, and retinoids get converted into retinoic acid, okay. Then through this whole series of events, it's transported into the cell nucleus and then it combines to retinoic acid receptors, receptors or retinoid X receptors. It binds to that. And then through this whole cascade of events, which I'm not going to go into as it's very complicated, there's a lot of terminology that's not easy for me to break down. It's beyond the scope of my knowledge and my expertise but there's a lot of different stages that it goes through but basically the end result is that it causes the epidermis to thicken and then encourages the surface skin to shed at a better rate than what it was doing before and that helps get rid of or expel the microcomodos okay that's basically in a nutshell without going into the details of it tretinoin is an example of this and there's a few others as well and they're all topical it's something topical that you put on your skin and they all have a very similar mechanism of action obviously the ones with a prescription are going to be a lot more i would imagine a lot stronger and they target you know that they're just better at targeting what they're supposed to be targeting however when it is taken orally it is quite different oral retinoid which is known, which is is called isotretinoin, um, is a lot stronger and the side effects are a lot harsher. Other names that you might have heard of for isotretinoin is Accutane or Roaccutane. Okay, it's quite an aggressive drug and normally it's only offered 
to patients that come in who have tried other uh, therapies first and those therapies have failed to work and normally it's for quite aggressive acne where it's really affecting the patient's life. And the reason for this is that it's quite an unpleasant treatment to go through and it's quite a, quite an intense treatment, this Roaccutane or Accutane or Isotretinoin and you're only going to give it to someone that really, really needs it and they can't find a solution in any other way. So when it's taken orally, it works differently. It has more of an action. And what it does, it actually inhibits the sebum-producing cells to proliferate. So they can't proliferate. The glands then shrink because of this. And then it makes it produce less sebum, okay? It also helps reduce the bacteria in bacteria causing acne. The side effects of of topical topical, uh, retinoid is dryness, redness, sensitivity to sunlight, things like that. Orally, it's a lot more potent. Um, That's why it's just, like I said, it's not easily prescribed. So side effects can include mood change, issues with um, the gastrointestinal tract, muscle aches, and like a whole bunch more. And it's also been linked to birth defects. Um, Now, with the mental health With this whole mood change, some people say, oh, it causes depression, this and that. There's been quite a lot of studies on that. And what they have found or have failed to find is that it causes depression in general. But what they find, so for example, and what I mean by that is if you are someone that is not prone to depression and you don't really have any kind of precursor signs that you would develop depression, it's not going to give you depression. And if you are someone that's predisposed to having depression for a whole bunch of, there's many reasons why you could be predisposed for that, it could um, enhance your likelihood of getting depression if you are predisposed. However, these studies are quite, like there's so many studies on it and there's no black or white yes or no, but at the same time, a lot of people that do suffer from really extreme acne also suffer from a lot of um, emotional disorders as well because when you have something that's affecting your life so much a health problem that's affecting your life so much it is then going to affect your mental health in in a lot of cases not in every case but in a lot of cases so there already is this existing um correlation that kind of exists there but it's not black and white it's not like roaccutane will cause depression but there is definitely a big link between these really intense hardcore drugs um that treat acne and how it can affect your mood if you are predisposed to getting depression. Um, So that is the brain fact of today. Let's get straight into the episode of today. Okay, so visualization. Is there a science behind this? Yes, there is. So you have to think of your body as something like a lot more fascinating than you give it credit for, okay? We are a fine-tuned piece of machinery, okay? And we are constantly taking in information and data through all our um, sensory networks and inputs, okay? And there's so much information coming in that we then have to take what we need and not what is available, okay? So what it is that we need and based on the information that we take, so there's all this information coming at us, we start to get selective consciously and subconsciously and we're just pulling the information that's relevant to us, that's going to get us through our day, our week and it ends up forming how you experience and how you perceive your life, okay? So we've got our five senses for the external world, 
But then, of course, there are animals and mammals that have senses that humans just do not possess or really, really um, advanced versions of the senses that we do possess. And then, then there are some animals that have like a sensor for like magnetic fields and stuff like that. And so there's, there's a, an argument to, to be like, are there humans that exist that have these senses or does it exist within us but we're just not aware or tapped in? Who knows? But there are at least five senses that we as humans have that we are working on to help us experience life with the external world. So given that, that the five senses are our gateway to the world around us, which is very different to how you're experiencing things within your body, given that you've got to realize that you have the power to influence what you think, feel and experience all the time. And you might struggle to stop thinking about something that is so heavily impacting your life at any given time. Like you could be going through a heartbreak, you could be going through something very stressful at work, you could be whatever it is, financial struggles, relationship struggles, health struggles. You could be going through something or it could be something completely not as heavy as that, but it's just playing on your mind a lot. Um, And the thought to you to get rid of that thought is not very easy because you're trying to remove or suppress something that's quite dominant in, in, in your experience. But think about how easy it is to replace something, even if for a very short time. Think about how easy it is to influence your experience in the moment just by quickly replacing it. You might not be able to block a thought out willingly in the moment, but it is ridiculously easy to introduce a new thought. And sometimes it's annoying. Like it's so easy that it's annoying. Like you could be focusing on something so intently or trying to remember something so intently in your short-term memory and someone interrupts you to show you something. Your stream of thoughts could have been so intense, but when interrupted, it made you forget everything you were thinking about altogether to the extent that you're like, what was I saying? What was I talking about? Gone, gone, gone out of your memory. And that's because it just that just shows you how much a new thought can influence you and break the circuit. So this can be very frustrating, but it can also be very, very beneficial to know that you can put new thoughts in your mind. Well, it you know, good and bad. So you take what you want from it. Your mind can be your biggest enemy or your greatest ally, depending on what you're putting into it most of the time. Don't worry if you have a bad thought here and there. We're talking about in general. We're talking about consistency 80% of the time. If you can do more, great, but it doesn't have to be all the time. Now, if I say to you, think of a person riding a bicycle with a baguette in their backpack, you've probably just thought of it and you've probably created more to that image than just the baguette in the backpack. You've now created more of an image. You're now loading that image of the person on the bicycle. They're probably wearing some colored T-shirt that you've already thought of in your head. All these things that you're thinking of that's just been put in your head in that moment, okay? And when we talk about visualization, we're also talking about what we're feeding and what we're feeling in our brain. You're asking yourself, what does my brain have to work with right here? Like what tools do I have to work with? Or what right now? Am I feeding my brain that's hindering me, okay? So the influence that the outside world has on you and what influence you can actively have on your brain via your senses is incredible, okay? And this works for your physical abilities, your emotions, but also your intellectual abilities as well. Now, the beauty of the brain, beauty, downside, whatever you want to call it, is that when, it, when we talk about senses, and in this particular one we're talking about visual senses, visualization, In many cases, not all, but in many cases, the brain struggles to differentiate what we thought of versus what we experienced. 
And that is one of the main reasons why people's memories are, can, are not ironclad. They cannot be 100% trusted. You can have a, a you know, pretty good idea of what went down, but your memories can be so heavily influenced by, your, um, by how you thought about it after the fact. So say you experienced a fight with someone and then you walk away and you start thinking all this shit and thinking this and that. Your memories might have actually or your thoughts around the fight might have actually warped how you remember the fight going down, okay? Because the brain struggles to separate what was imagined with deep intensity versus what was actually experienced, okay? That's why eyewitness statements of fucking... If you, there's so many documentaries on it, great TED Talks on it, but eyewitness statements cannot be 100% taken for fact because people's memories are influenced so heavily. That's why interrogations with police um, or detectives and witnesses or people or suspects um, are sometimes really, really dodgy based on the information they're trying to feed someone so then they remember something differently. There's a lot of psychology that goes down behind it. But the beauty of that is that when you're visualising something, your brain struggles to identify what was imagined and what was actually experienced, okay? That's the beauty of the senses, vision being the main one that we're talking about. So now what I'm going to do is, lol, as concisely as possible, I'm going to go over eight points as to why visualization visualization works for you from a psych neuroscience standpoint. And then I'm going to go into some points on how to help you do it, okay? I think there's, I've got four points or something. All right, number one. Your internal working model. I've spoken about this before, but basically your internal working model is formed from a very, very young age. We're talking your formative years when you're a toddler, okay? And basically it forms your core schema, your deep, deep beliefs about yourself, others, the world, and your abilities, okay? So some people that have had a really unfortunate upbringing and had a lot of trauma and neglect, they're, you know, likely to grow up definitely not every person, but likely to grow up with this schema, with this um, internal working model where the narrative is, I am not loved, I'm not lovable, people are out to get me, the world is a terrible place and I always fail at things. That's quite a, um, that's quite a bad internal working model, obviously. But then someone who's grown up with, you know, a lot of love around them, a lot of support, all these opportunities, um, never felt like they were endangered at any point, were able to just flourish, as a child growing up, didn't have to be in, in, um, in uh, survival mode at any point. Uh, a very strong, what am I trying to say? What, what word am I trying to say? Um, uh, secure attachment, a very good secure attachment. Their internal working model is I'm lovable. I can rely on people. People are always there for me. The world is a great place in general. And I have faith in my ability. So I'm going to put myself out there and give something a go. And if I fail, it's not the end of the world. I can try something again. That's pretty much their internal working model. And it's no coincidence that people's internal working models determine their future experiences as the world goes on because people try and find people are always trying to find evidence to make themselves feel like they're right even if they're believing something that's really sad and and detrimental at the very least you want to see some consistency in your life and you want to feel that you are right okay so for people that have a negative view on their relationships and themselves when one thing goes right for them it's an anomaly it's a one it's a one off right but when things go wrong it strengthens their belief 
that all their relationships are going to break down at some point. They can't rely on people and it's normal. And for them, that just confirms this belief. So if you're someone that thinks all relationships are doomed and you see a good one, you might even doubt it being like, no, nah, one of them's fucking cheating, one of them's this, one of them's that, because you might have always experienced that. And then if you expect – and if you're always expecting someone to leave you in a relationship, you might subconsciously be pushing someone away or testing them constantly and creating a bad environment for the relationship to thrive unwillingly. So you might have then unwillingly created an environment that supports that belief – because of this internal working model, okay? And you see this happen all the time. Now, if you want, I'm not going to go further into this because I do have an episode on attachment theory. One sec, I'll look up the number, the episode number. I just found it, lol. It's episode 48. That is like a lifetime ago. But episode 48, if you want more more in depth on that, I just don't want to go on too much of a tangent. Okay, so that's the first one. Um, if you understand internal working model, you understand why why this idea of visualization works. Because if you have this deep-seated belief and you've already kind of, you're looking at the world through a particular lens, then all your beliefs around that are going to shape how you're going to experience things. If you always think everything's going to be bad and you experience something good, you think, oh, that was lucky. Instead of thinking that is the standard for my life. If you are imagining that things are going to go terrible in a job interview, then you'll probably subconsciously have negatively primed yourself for that interview um, and not, you know, put yourself out there to the best extent in order to be able to get that job or have that experience or whatever it is. All these things can be changed, but how you approach something heavily determines how you experience it and can, can often influence the outcome of that situation. Number two, when you visualize, it becomes realistic for you. It feels like it is something in the realm of possibilities. If you visualize yourself going through something and getting through something, you're more likely to stick it out or stick out the challenges because doing it is realistic to you, okay? It's not to do with your capacity and your intelligence. It's got to do with can you stick it out until you get through this hurdle, right? So you're less likely to get bogged down on this notion that I'm going to fail or I'm not going to make it, okay? And the brain likes familiar. So if you've rehearsed something in your mind, and I'll go into an example of what I do in a sec, your brain finds that familiar. So then when you actually reach the point where you have to do the thing, the brain feels a lot more comfortable. There's a lot less resistance, okay? We need, we need something that's familiar. When we rehearse something, it feels familiar, it feels real, realistic, and then it's not so weird or shocking when we're actually doing the thing because we've experienced it in our mind, okay? So if you expect that positive outcomes are a possibility – then when you come across a positive outcome, you're more relaxed and you approach it in a healthier way. You're more uh, willing to take that opportunity. You're not so like, oh, that was weird. That should have happened. I'm just going to shut down now. You know, and I'm not talking about being expected in the sense that you are entitled to something because that's where disappointment happens. But expect that good things are common for you. Don't say that it's the weirdest thing in the world that something good happened to you, okay? Now, there's this book, I've mentioned this before, there's this book called Alter Ego or The Alter Ego and there's a study that was done where children would pretend that they had an alter ego and the children, for example, look, I'm probably butchering this story so go ahead and read it but in a nutshell, there were different groups of children and one group were 
pretending that they were Batman doing a task, okay? The children that were pretending to be Batman doing the task were a whole lot calmer. They were really imagining and visualizing that they were Batman and they saw it as almost a game. They didn't get too stressed and they lasted much longer trying to decipher this this code or, or this game that they had to solve. They lasted much longer than the other groups because they had entered this level of awareness, focus, and they were a lot calmer. It's this idea of visualizing that you can do something. And and when asked of why they were able to complete something, the children would answer, well, Batman wouldn't give up. So for them, it was just an easy thing. Batman wouldn't give up, so I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep doing it. So you'll notice just the influence on your mind just by by putting a different idea or a different vision of how you're going to get through something actually helps you stay in that task for longer. Okay. Number three, it allows your mind to rehearse something before doing it. The brain doesn't know the difference between, like I said, doesn't know the difference between thinking about going through the motions versus going through the motions. Okay. Athletes do this all the time and it works for athletes a lot. There's a lot of studies done on this visual motor rehearsal where it works. Obviously you have to do both ideally. Um, but regardless, it works, okay? But I used to do this at uni when it came to mental tasks, cognitive tasks. I used to, because for the first few years of uni and in my undergrad and the first year of my master's, I used to get quite um, stressed and emotional when it came to a really, really hard exam or an essay that I would look at and I'd be like, how do I even begin? How the fuck am I going to hand this thing in when I can't even write the, like, what am I doing? And I just... In that moment, I'd start layering all these sorts of like, this is ridiculous. How can I even start? I feel like I don't, I'm not prepared. Bang, 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 bang. So from that kind of state of mind, I'm not really going to get anywhere, let alone start the thing. So then when I started doing kind of on the second year into my master's, I used to visualize and imagine myself sitting down and getting through these time blocks that I had set out. I would imagine, I would imagine myself physically sitting in an exam and feeling calm. And I would imagine myself feeling really relaxed during oral presentations and oral exams. I would really picture myself and the feeling of it and what I would be doing with my body when I would put down, I want to say put down the pen, it was all on the computer, when I would like when click submit on an essay, you know. And I would imagine all these things ultimately seeing myself calm during these challenges and getting through one little hurdle at a time, one little hurdle at a time. I didn't say to myself, oh, this is easy because I would feel that that's not realistic because I knew it was not easy, okay? But I did it enough that I was so sure that I would finish. And because I was so sure that I would finish, every time I sat down, I used to think, well, I know this is going to get done at some point. It is going to get done. So let's take a breath and just work through it one step at a time versus how I used to approach it where I'd be like, fuck, 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 how, how, this is ridiculous, this is so hard. And all it did was it changed my approach and for the second year and a half of my master's, I was finishing um, exams way before the finish time and able to go through them and really revise it and I was submitting essays days, sometimes a week before the due date. That was unheard of for me, unheard of. And this is all because how I started to approach it differently and I was using this visualization of visualizing how I was going to approach these hurdles. Number four, the reticular activating system 
is activated when you visualize. So it's a part of the brain that is a filter for information. Okay, like I said at the start, there is so much information coming into the brain constantly. So you have to filter relative information into the brain. And whatever's not relative, you're not even going to perceive it at a conscious level at the very least. Okay, so you can only process so much. So it's a crucial filter, this reticular activating system. Okay, so when something is top of mind, this reticular activating system is going to be like, ding, 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 ding. That's why when you're going to buy, you know, a hat, you're more likely to see that hat everywhere. The same goes for if you love a car, you're more likely to see that car everywhere or whatever it is. We all know it. We've all experienced it. When we're into something, it starts cropping up everywhere. Okay. It's not a coincidence. It's because you're, you've got heightened awareness around that object or that topic. Now, because of this, we also have a cognitive bias and this bias makes us more biased, like draw our attention more to the things that we want to see and that we're primed to see and to kind of ignore the things that we don't want to see. That's why people with a really strong cognitive bias are impossible to argue with because you can present them great information about the opposing um, topic and they'll be like, anyway... And just ramble on about their topic. They won't even take it as evidence. They'll be like, next, whatever, they push it away, okay? So we have this cognitive bias all the time. And what we do when we visualize something new for ourselves is that we learn to dismantle this bias that we have towards things that are not serving us anymore because we're raising our awareness we're visualizing it we're seeing it we're feeling it then the next time you're in that zone the next time you're in that space the next time you're trying to say you're visualizing that you really want to go ex place with a career okay instead of thinking it's so hard it's never going to happen for me it's never going to happen oh my god people that do what I want to do must have years of study or years of this so you just eliminate that as an option instead of that visualizing you being in that role, talking with these people, dealing with these situations. Then when you hear the conversation crop up, when you see opportunities come up, you're more likely to pay attention to these things and learn from these scenarios instead of thinking, wow, and watching it from the sidelines. You start interacting with different groups of people. You start talking differently. Your body language is different. People associate with you differently. They respond to you differently. It actually makes a huge difference and this is not even even if you don't believe in oh I've attracted this like a magnet you end up attracting these things purely through your physicality and your mindset towards these things because you've changed how you perceive it and how you approach it so when we visualize something you are helping your reticular activating system filter in the things that you want to call into your life or draw into your life or achieve as a goal and not pay attention to the things that are peripheral to that Number five, this rehearsal helps calm your nerves as you are not so stressed about the unknown. If you have a good idea of what you may encounter, you have also primed yourself to feel good about it. You're going to be a lot calmer around it, okay? Let's say you've got an interview coming up. You want to visualize your physical state during the interview. Visualize what it's going to be. You can't control how someone is going to perceive you ultimately. There's certain things you can do to influence. Obviously, you could you could have a great conversation with them. You could be the perfect candidate for the job, for example. But you ultimately cannot be like, you will hire me and I'm going to visualize that. I mean, you, you might want to do that if you want. But as far as what I'm talking about, you don't actually have control over the other person. But what you do have control over is how you respond to a situation. And if you're in a stressful situation, but you've primed yourself to be calm and go in there, calm, relaxed, chilled, ready for whatever's to come, 
your way, you can deal with it when it comes, that kind of attitude towards it, then you're more likely to respond better to questions. You're more likely to give the right answers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing goes when you're doing something like a performance on stage. You still have the adrenaline, but you visualize the whole thing go down. You visualize yourself, get through the whole thing. You've rehearsed it. It's a mental rehearsal and then you go and do it. The same goes for exercising. Visualize yourself, do it. And then it's a lot easier for you to do it because it comes, becomes realistic for you to do it. Number six, you remember the last time you remembered something. And the more feelings you have when you remember something, the easier it is to consolidate. Emotions are involved and that's what makes it so effective, okay? Focus on the feeling. The emotional aspect of this is the most important thing. Why? Because emotion is what solidifies memory and memory retrieval, okay? Multi-layered memories and memories that are loaded with deep feelings can be accessed way easier than just, oh, I went to the shops the other day and someone's like, what day? Why? I couldn't tell you. But if you went to the shops and you saw someone get hit by a car and then you had to go and attend to them and you called the ambulance and you this, I can tell you for sure, 10 a.m. Wednesday is seared into your brain, because you have loaded that memory with emotion, okay? The same goes for any other emotion, any other feeling. And it becomes so much easier to recall it and relive it that you you start to strengthen that image and that feeling in your neural circuitry. That becomes kind of the dominant state. And you can recall it and you can instantly feel that way again, okay? So if you're doing that for positive things, That's very good. But a lot of us do it for negative things and we notice it. And then all it takes is thinking about something and instantly your physical state has changed. You can just think a thought of what someone said to you once. Your heart is pumping. Your breathing, you know, is faster. You're stressed. Your face is hot. It's incredible how a thought can elicit a physical reaction to something. And like I said at the start, your memory, when you remember something, You're not remembering when it happened. You are remembering the last time you remembered it or one of the recent times that you remembered it. So if you can, I want you to sit there and think about something and rewrite how you're going to experience it in the future. That's why I give, I, I've given you guys this task, I think, on one or two episodes in the past. But this idea of rewriting how something's going to go down. Let's say you struggle to deal with you know, outbursts, okay? Next time you have an outburst, that night, sit down, go through the movie in your head of what went down, but imagine yourself dealing with it differently. Really put yourself in the shoes of your earlier self of today and imagine yourself, visualize yourself uh, behaving differently, reacting differently, keeping your cool, walking away before it got to your head. Imagine yourself doing all of those things. I can guarantee you the next time, you imagine that outburst, you then trigger the memory of you imagining yourself being calm, dealing with it a bit better, walking away, not letting people press your buttons, that kind of thing. You know, you do that enough times, next time you're in a situation where someone's pushing your buttons, you're like, oh, the first thing that's come into your mind is I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let it get to me this time. I've been here before in my mind, I can be here again in reality and I'm going to walk away and, and I'm, I'm keeping my cool. It, it works for so many things, okay? So many things. The same goes for, for working, for performing under pressure. Some people are great performers. They get under pressure. They cave. Use visualization for that. Now, last one, number seven. I, th- I, th- I thought I said there was eight, but there really isn't. Number seven, um, 
positive reinforcement. Your belief precedes your abilities, okay? So if you believe that something is achievable, the chances of you achieving it are higher purely because you're more likely to use resources that are at your disposal and to gain more resources by being dynamic, by being resourceful, you're more likely to do that and then also be calmer while solving these problems, okay? Often, the people that make it in life, make it, the ones that you look up to, are not smarter than you necessarily or not more talented than you necessarily, but it's how they approach it is where they might be superior to how you approach something. They don't prematurely shut themselves down. They don't hesitate, I'm not going to do it because they're a lot calmer. You can create that for yourself through practicing visualization. Okay, now let's get into how to do it. I've got four points. It's already 36 minutes, so let's pump it out. I've got four points. Number one, how to do it. Well, Firstly, I guess before we get to number one, obviously you want to think of a situation. You want to sit down, ideally close your eyes so there's less um, sensory input other than what you are just seeing. So I like to do this when I'm completely alone or alone in a room at least. Um, And you can do this in total silence. But I find that having just a really gentle background noise like rain sounds helps me a lot because it's just enough that I'm not going to focus on weird random sounds here and there. Okay, so I like to do it with rain sounds or or desert wind sounds or a crackling fire you can get off YouTube or some app on your phone and then set a timer so you're not there for an infinite amount of time whether it's five minutes 10 minutes and before you set that timer have an idea of what it is that you're going to be focusing on focus on one thing at a time okay so if it's I want to be calmer in situations or if it's I'm getting this fucking job so I'm going to already start to visualize myself in that role so I can start to behave accordingly that's kind of what you want to you know, identify first. Okay. Now, once you've done that, I want you to do this number one, relatively often, but not too much that you feel that you are scared of not getting it. Okay. You want the process to be enjoyable, but if you're doing it seven times a day, you're kind of giving off the energy to yourself and to your subconscious that, oh my God, it's not, it's not happening. It hasn't happened. I'm not at all. So I've got to do it more. I've got to do it more. Then you're creating just more resistance and you don't want to do that. So like once every second day, if it's on different topics, you can do it daily, of course, but on different things maybe. Um, and that's just going to help you feel calm about it, but feel good. The process should feel good. If the process doesn't feel good, you're associating that memory with negative thoughts like anxiety, for example, or stress. Step away from it at the time and return to it when you're feeling calmer. Don't be sitting there having these thoughts and trying to visualize certain things for yourself and certain things about your behavior when you feel shit because you you get nowhere, okay? Number two, reduce your resistance to something. Find ways to release tension and aversion. If you are desperate to have something, then you are in protection mode because the thought of not having it freaks you out, okay? And because you're in protection mode, because you've like, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, you're not in this relaxed, calm flow state and you're less likely to be receptive to things that come your way. You shut down and you are in this survival mode of I have to have. And this is where you retreat, where you hold back, where you're scared to take a risk, where you hold things in. Resistance is aversion and resistance comes from lack or it comes from fear. 
So you've got to start finding ways to neutralize your feeling towards that thing as much as you can. And ways of doing that is to remind yourself constantly, this is not the only option for me. There are many possibilities for me. This is just one that I'm quite interested in, so I'm going to pursue it. If this doesn't work out, I have many things that I can explore later. So I'm going to just give it a go. That kind of mentality. So it's not this, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. It's, I would really love this to happen. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put a lot of energy into this and I'm going all out. However, there's other possibilities for me too. It's always that reminder that I'm resistant. I can, I'm resilient. If it breaks down, I'm good. I know I can pick up the pieces for myself. I know I can have my back. That kind of affirmation I think is very, very healthy. Number three, and this gets, this gets mentioned in a lot of manifestation talk as well, but for specifically visualization, remember to act as if. You want to be in the perspective of you already being it, okay, or already feeling that way, already having something. So if you look at it from purely a psychological standpoint of imagining that you actually have it, you wouldn't feel this lack. You wouldn't have to worry about it not happening. You're just relaxed about it. You're relaxed. Imagine when you um, have actually gotten something that you wanted in your life. I think sometimes we perceive that we're going to be so excited for days and days and days. And it's not the case. Yes, we're excited initially when the thing happens. But then it's this calm, really nice calm, happy feeling of like, yep, this, and quite soon after the thing happens, we have this calm sense of like, you now own that thing. It's part of who you, like, it's either like your job now or this thing that was gifted to you or this thing that you achieved. And it feels great, but it's not like, for example, when I finally graduated, I was so happy, but I'm not like, oh my God, I cannot believe this happened. Oh my God. It didn't feel unnatural. I had earned it. I worked for it. And then I was really happy, but it was a calm happiness, you know, when, all sorts of things, like when you meet the love of your life, when you, all these things, you're not this crazy high energy fucking, oh my God, it's more of like a calm happiness, okay? So that's the feeling that you want to chase. You want to live, live as if. So imagine the feeling of, or remember the feelings that you have when something does go well for you. Remember what your physical state is like, what your emotional state is like, and remind yourself of that and emulate that every time you think about the thing you're visualizing, okay? And also remember on a side note, that how you think draws you to certain people, certain opportunities, information, careers, experiences, feelings, situations, all sorts of things, okay? So when you actually practice this, it actually opens your mind. Now, the last point is keep it simple and start small to help you practice at it. Like you can go as big as you want, but if you've never done this before and if you notice in yourself that you have resistance to things where there's new opportunities and and stepping into the unknown, then I would recommend you start small just to get comfortable around this exercise. At the end of the day, if it doesn't feel possible or realistic, it's never going to happen, okay? It has to be achievable in your eyes. It doesn't matter what everyone else around you says. You have to think it's achievable. It's all about a, a way of being. And I wrote this in, this in my second book that's going to come out, like in September, I believe. I'll keep you guys updated. I wrote it in this book. But basically, I talk about this. If something occurs to you that feels so out of your realm and doesn't feel right, it's likely going to you, – you somehow lose it or get rid of it. Like when you look at lottery winners, a lot of lottery winners will lose all the money. I think it's something like 80 something percent. It's a crazy amount. No matter how much they've won, they will lose it all within, I think it's like an 18 month or a two year time period. I'll have to 
I did read the studies on it. It's in the book, but it's roughly that, okay? Whereas someone who's built a business from scratch into a multi-million dollar business and then for whatever reason that business has broken down, you see them in another industry altogether becoming a millionaire again because it's just what that person is and how they're able to they see it as realistic for them is basically what I'm trying to say. They're used to being a millionaire. Yes, okay, shit hit the fan and it broke down, but now they're going to get there again through another avenue because it's just ingrained in them. It is a way of being. For someone who's won the lottery, who's used to not ever having any money, if they haven't looked at this being like, right, what is the mindset of someone that lives with this kind of money versus, oh my God, I'm just going to spend it all, blah, 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 you know, because I'm not used to having it. This is not real for me. So let's just, let's just spend it and have a good time because very different mentalities, okay? And neither one is right or wrong. You have to live the life you want to live it, but you always have to imagine it has to be realistic for me. This lifestyle, what I'm trying to visualize, what I'm trying to achieve with my goals has to be realistic because if it's not realistic, don't bother. So for me, the best one to start with when you're starting small is visualize waking up at a set time every morning, getting out of bed and doing something physical, whether it's a stretch, one push-up, a fucking meditation, breath work, whatever, okay? But it's just something that you visualize. If you're someone that always struggles to get out of bed, visualize it, visualize it, and it actually makes a difference. Imagine yourself doing it. And not just think, I'm going to get out of bed, okay, I visualized it. No, 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 no. What does your bed look like? Where is your phone plugged in? Where is it charging? Is your alarm set on your phone? Do you want to have an alarm clock? When you wake up normally, do you have one pillow? Do you have two? Are the covers right over your face or are they down? Really get, get specific. So if you can imagine, okay, I know exactly what it feels like. I pull the covers off. I reach to my left-hand side, pull the charger out of my phone, hit the, the off button on my alarm or hit my, my fucking alarm clock, whatever, and I sit upright. What does your bedroom look like? I stand up. Where do you go to do this stretch? Where do you go to do this breath work? Do you do it on the floor right then and there? Do you go to the living room? Get so specific that the the image is burnt into your head. And then in the morning, you hear the alarm, you wake up, bing, and that you've rehearsed that whole routine. And all you have to do is fucking do it. Or you can stay in bed and make an excuse. Totally up to you. But when you visualize it, it makes it so much easier to go ahead and do it. Guys, that is the episode for today. I hope that this has inspired you to start using the tool of visualization to prime your brain and to prime yourself to be more open and receptive to the things that you want to achieve in your life, okay? Use it. It is a tool. It's backed by studies. It is fucking science and it works and I do it all the time. Guys, I do it all the time and it has helped me so much I can't even explain it okay guys thank you so much for listening as always share this episode with someone who you think would like it thank you again for always tagging me in your stories and and tagging the do you fucking mind um the dyfm podcast instagram as well I love seeing it um it's just the best you literally you make my day every time I see it I absolutely love it love the community guys I will speak to you next week as always please remember be kind to yourself be kind to your brain don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself danke